Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Andrea, and today I'll be doing my first look at the player cards of Lost in Time and Space, the sixth mythos pack of the Dunwich Legacy Cycle. I'm sure that means something to people who play Arkham Horror. <laughs> it means bugger all to me. It's not meant to be a comprehensive review, just my first impressions. So here goes. The first card is Vicious Blow. Oh my word. Uh, that is definitely a vicious blow because a man is about... Well, it's hard to tell whether he has... I was about to say he's about to deal a vicious blow to a horrible monster. But then I realised there's lots of blood coming off the monster and the axe with which he has dealt the vicious blow. So I'm guessing that this photograph <laughs> was taken after the vicious blow was dealt. Card number two, Monster Slayer. Okay, I'm not sure about this immediately. This is Jason Statham. This is basically a painting of Jason Statham holding a blowtorch. And he's, uh, he's he's attacking a monster with a blowtorch. That's, uh, that's a new Jason Statham movie, Monster Slayer. I look forward to that. I'm sure to be a big hit. The third card is Lightning Gun. Doesn't really look like a gun. <laughs> sort of looks like um, something they used to make on that TV show. What was it called? Where they had to sort of like Sylvester McCoy was the host and they had to like come up with uh, the Great Egg Race. That's it. Where they had to come up with a weird contraption that did something. This is definitely a weird contraption. Doesn't look like a gun. Next. What's this card for? Dr. William T. Melson. Son of a male. Uh, he's working on something big, apparently. Capital letters for something in big. So uh, that is really something big. William T. Sorry, Dr. William T. Melson. Don't know what the T stands for. Um, they don't tell us. Make it up. Invent your own. Tiberius. There you go. Like James T. Kirk. Um, he looks like a kind of, oh, he looks like the kind of guy like in the movies uh, where a woman was like a beautiful secretary, but she wore glasses and then she'd take off her glasses and they go, oh, but you're beautiful. He looks like that. He looked like he'd be quite handsome if he took his glasses off. He's not even using his glasses. He's looking over the top of them. So I don't know why he's wearing them. Anyway, next card. Deciphered reality. <laughs> no idea what this means. It's some sort of monster. Got uh, nasty jaws and teeth. That's uh, that's sort of part of the course, right, in Arkham Horror. I don't know much about Arkham Horror, as you might be able to tell. But that looks like a classic Arkham Horror beast right there. Oh, this is an exciting name. Chicago Typewriter. Ah, I see what they're doing here. Okay, I do. I think I get this. Um, it's a picture of a gun. This, this one, unlike lightning gun, actually does look like a gun. I recognise this as a gun, mainly because there's bullets lying around it next to it. That's a... That's a bit of a giveaway. It's obviously clearly a kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of 1920s um, uh, gangster. What's his name? Al Capone sort of gun. That's what's going on here. Which I So I assume that a Chicago typewriter is a kind of cutesy name for a deadly weapon. So uh, I've learned something new today. I, I hope you have too. Next card. The Gold Pocket Watch. It's a pocket watch and it's made of gold. And I can tell that because it's kind of glinting away. Um, it says stealing time. Don't really understand that anyway. Next, shriveling. Oh, this is... <laughs> this is oh, okay. So this is a picture of basically a man whose head is exploding. I would say it's shriveling. It's more just exploding. But it's also sort of almost like it's melting into ash. It reminds me a bit of the Nazi at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open up the Ark. 
of the covenant and his face melts off. So he looks a bit like that. Spoiler alert. That's who he looks like. But he's holding a, a rose and the petals are sort of falling off. Um, and that reminds me, that puts me in mind of uh, my favourite reality TV show, uh, which is The Bachelor. But uh, Frank can tell you about that in, a, in another episode. Um, so it's basically a man who's maybe gone on a really bad date or something. He's brought along a rose for his lovely lady. and uh, But he's taken one look at her, like the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, his face has melted off. We've all been on that date, I think. Next card. Ward of Protection. Okay, it's a woman. It's the first, the lady card. I've come across in this pack. She looks pretty cool. She's left-handed. She's uh, holding something gleaming in her left hand as if she's about to throw it. Or maybe she's just using it to sort of shine a bit of light. There's, it's sort of glowing. So maybe she's using it a bit like when you hold up your iPhone and you put on the torch on your iPhone to light your way. So maybe, she, maybe she's going down a dark passageway and she's, she's lighting the way. But also she's protecting you because she's the water protection. I like her. She gets my vote. Oh, another woman. Aquinar, the forgotten daughter. That's a bit like me. I'm the youngest daughter in my family. Sometimes I feel a bit forgotten. I uh, so I can relate to Aquinar. She's uh, got she's got a good, good choker game going on. She's wearing a really nice choker. She's sort of standing in a forest at night. It's a bit like a music video, and they've got a wind machine going on because her hair is blowing. So uh, Aquinar looks pretty cool. Next card. Try and try again. Ah yes, the famous words. Of Robert the Bruce, um, except it's not Robert the Bruce. It is a oh, it's a bit like a William Tell, and they kind of mixed up their folklore here. Um, it's some archer who is uh, taking aim at a oh, I see what's happened. He, okay, he's, he's he's taking aim at an arch an archery board, a target board, <laughs> archery target. That's what it's called. You know, it's round circles, and he's missed twice. So really, maybe it should be called try, try, and try again. Um, he's clearly going for a third time to see if he can, uh, he's clearly not a very good shot, which is, you know, fine. I don't think I'd be very good at archery either, but you know, try again. And finally, the red gloved man. This is a picture of a man wearing red gloves and a knife, uh, which is glinting. So um, I'm not sure I'd ever trust a man really wore gloves like that anyway, let alone if they were red, let alone if uh, he was also holding a knife. It says he was never there. So, uh, Riddle me this. I don't understand why the red glove man. Where where was he never? What there? Clearly, was he here? Who knows? He is the red gloved man. And uh, hereby ends my reviews of the player cards of Lost in Time and Space, the sixth mythos pack of the Dunwich Legacy Cycle. All is quiet and the chaos of the journey is replaced with a sense of solitude and dread. You are in an unfathomable place, vast beyond your ability to reason, and utterly alien besides. If you're still listening, you just heard the inquiring mind, who sometimes assists me on my cryptic research into the arcane secrets of the world we know, and the world of Arkham Horror, the card game. Hello, it's me, Frank. We're at the end of our Dunwich journey. The gate is here. The key is here. And we must face and deal with what we can. This is another spoiler episode, but I suppose it's quite a special one because it is the spoiler episode for the final Mythos pack, Lost in Time 
and space. If you don't have the pack yet and don't want cards spoiled, stop listening now. Otherwise, I'm going to do my classic thing of just taking a first look at the cards and telling you what I think about them. But this is a slightly exceptional episode, and the reason for that is that many months ago, a French player of Arkham Horror, the card game, opened his or her pack of the Miskatonic Museum, first pack in the Dunwich Legacy Cycle, and discovered that the cards within it, the player cards that is, were in fact these cards from pack six. So it was a simple printing error, but they took to the internet, as well you would, and put up the cards because they wanted confirmation that they had indeed got the wrong pack. So I think it was back in maybe February, or maybe even earlier than that, some of these cards had been floating around on the internet. People said it might be a hoax, people said the translations were wrong, there was some confusion about it, but as time has gone on, we've become more and more sure that they probably were correct. And way back in February, that episode, along with another episode, which was the spoiling of the Path to Carcosa Deluxe expansion by, I think, a Polish retailer, really got me thinking about spoilers. Those were the occasions that really made me think, how did I want to see player cards in this game? I love this game so much, and I felt like hazy images on the internet was not the right way for me to see the cards. And I know that other people don't mind that, but my own experience, just it just that was the thing that really prompted me to start questioning it. So I actually know these cards, but I don't know them very well. I sort of looked and then I was angry with myself for looking and I backed off and then I wanted to go back and look and then I did some of the French translation for myself because I didn't believe other people's translations. You know, silly. But here is my real first look when I actually have the cards in my hand and can actually tell you what I think. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump in. The first card is <laughs> very familiar art. It's Vicious Blow, the Guardian skill, but it's the 2xp version. It has two combat icons rather than the one. It still has the art of a man with an axe going at a night gaunt, and it has gained the expert trait, so it's now practiced and expert. If this skill test is successful during an attack, that attack deals plus one damage, plus two damage instead if it succeeds by two or more. With a sickening smack, he struck the abomination over and over until at last it stopped moving. So this fills out the level two versions of the sort of the class skill cards. So we've had opportunist level two, we've had survival instinct level two, deduction level two, fearless level two, and here now is vicious blow level two. It gains an icon to commit, which is great, and it gains an extra one of the thing it does. So fearless is heal two horror if you pass by two or more, deduction is two two clues, and this is two damage. My hunch is that fighters can can get high enough that they can maybe be hitting it at a quite high threshold and landing some big damage. If you're using any of the powerful weapons we know of, like the shotgun or the springfield that give you a big combat boost, and then you're adding another two combat from Vicious Blow, you can probably pretty reliably be doing three damage, four damage if the weapon gives more damage, or five, you know, you can start to do some big hits. Moving on. The next card is really cool. It is a one-cost event with five XP pips. It's another Guardian card. Combat and Wild Icons. It's Monster Slayer. Spirit Traded. Love that trade. 
fight in bold. So this is a, you play this event, but it's a fight action. If this attack succeeds against a non-elite enemy, defeat that enemy. So because it's a fight action itself, that means you can't use an action designator on, for instance, a weapon, a machete, a forty-five, something else like that. So you're fighting with your only your your base combat, and then whatever you can commit to the test. Or if you have something like a beat cop down or a hired muscle, you'd be getting that combat boost as well. But you're not getting any boost from a weapon or any damage boost. But you don't need a damage boost because if you can land the hit, you can defeat the enemy. Can I think of any good targets? Well, the first one I think of is, is maybe a weird one, but the conglomeration of spheres. It's one fight, but it has six health. And it eats up melee weapons. So if you can just do one attack against it with this, pay one, and land that hit, you essentially can do six damage for one resource. Do you want to spend five XP to deal with a conglomeration that way? Um, Maybe. The other thought for me is any of the slightly tricky enemies, so things like thralls, I mean the avian or lupine ones, that really can can dog you around the place. Night Gaunts in Blood on the Altar would be pretty cool to do that. And then, I guess, well, hey, Crazed Shoggoth in Where Doom Awaits is also non-elite. I think it's just Monster and Shoggoth traded. So, one resource, one fight action against the three-fight enemy with six health that kills you if it does damage to you seems pretty darn nice. So yeah, this is a cool card. The 5 XP is the the tricky buy-in. But I quite like the idea of maybe starting a campaign and if you get 5 XP early on, just putting one of these straight in. Because like so many of the events in this game, it's completely situational. It's waiting for that right time. You sort of have it sitting in your hand. But it could save you two or three actions, perhaps, fighting a big enemy. You know, the, the ideal is the low health... No. The ideal is the low fight value, high health enemies. And we've seen a few of those in Dunwich. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if people cook up some interesting strategies using it. The next card is one that's been officially spoiled. It is, I think, an Arkham File staple, the lightning gun. The art on this, Kim Artyom, fantastic art, looks really quite bonkers. This is a six cost two-handed, five XP item, weapon, firearm, asset. Get all of that? It's big bucks, big experience. It's going to fill up your hand slots, and it also comes with an intellect and a combat icon. Icons. It uses three ammo. Pay six, get three, so two, two resources per ammo. Action, spend one ammo, fight. You get plus five combat for this attack. This attack deals plus two damage. This is such a great card just to talk about compared to Vicious Blow and Monster Slayer. You can't use this card with Monster Slayer and it costs the same XP. You can use this card with Vicious Blow for a plus seven combat that would deal, if you pass by two or more, five damage. Five damage in one shot? That I mean, that's dealing with so many enemies immediately. It's killing the emergent monstrosities on the train it's one-shotting the hunting horror in the museum when it's already got huge as well. You know, when it's beefed up, it's come back multiple times. 
it's nearly doing all the damage one player needs to do to Silas Bishop if you went down that route. It's a really huge amount of damage if you're combining it. But you might decide you don't want to combine it and just take three shots, each one at three damage. And that plus five combat boost is going to guarantee you're going to hit so many things. I mean, you'd be really hard pushed, apart from our dear friend Tentacles, not to hit with that. The cost is definitely high. This is definitely a card that you want prepared for the worst in your deck to find. You might want Bandolier, depending on what your role is, if you also wanted a machete or some other weapon for dealing with piddly enemies. You might also want extra ammunition to charge this thing up, or a partner playing contraband on you to make sure that you get loads of uses out of it. So there's all sorts of caveats, but if you have one dedicated fighter in your group who can spend the XP for this card and then get it into play you're probably going to see things being struck by lightning. The next card is our first Seeker card. Oh, it's so good. It is a zero XP card. Interestingly, I thought every card in this, this pack would be XP, but it's not. And this shows how little I've really studied these cards. This is the unique asset, Dr. William T. Mallison, working on something big. And the art on this guy Reminds me of an FFG employee whose name I can't remember, but I wonder if they've used an FFG employee. So, Malison is a one-cost asset. He takes up the ally slot. He's ally and miskatonic traded. The seeker ally army grows, and he has a willpower icon. Reaction. When you draw an encounter card, exhaust Dr. William T. Malison, and place one of your clues on your location. Cancel the drawing of that card, and shuffle it back into the encounter deck. Then draw a new card from the top of the encounter deck. Two health, two sanity. Okay, let's think this through. If you draw a Beyond the Veil and you're holding Ward of Protection, Ward of Protection cancels the revelation effect. So you still get the surge, but you just don't end up with Beyond the Veil in your deck. Malison goes a step better. You put a clue back on your location, bit nasty, but you don't even draw that card, you shuffle it back in, and you have a chance to redraw it, or to draw something else. It's sort of filtered draw on the encounter deck, slightly. I like Malison as a sort of clutch, almost panic button, particularly in solo, if there are some cards, particularly enemies, that are going to wipe you out. You can have Malison, you're like, oh, no, I'm not ready to handle the Night Gaunt. I'll put this clue back down. I'm just going to pick it up again next action and move on. And I'll go from there. It sort of allows you a, a little bit of control of the encounter deck in that way. Definitely putting the clue on your location is tough. Like, I can't see... Well, I was going to say I can't see Roland doing that. But actually, Roland might like doing that. Because then his clue ability can trigger again. And if he's getting rid of an encounter card and drawing another one in the hope of getting an enemy... He could then pick that clue up, killing the enemy again, if it's not costing him too many resources to get the clue. You're still treading water, though, aren't you? You can hear I'm, I'm not entirely convinced. Cool card. Love the art. Love the big thing he's working on. Oh, my word. The art on the next one is bonkers. Banane. This is Deciphered Reality. A four-cost seeker event that costs five XP again. So we're in a... We're in Monster Slayer territory in terms of cost. Two intellect icons and a wild icon. So similarly, you know, big icons. Insight traded. 
investigate in bold. So this is an investigate action, paying four to play this. The difficulty of this skill test is equal to the highest shroud value among revealed locations in play. Okay, so if you've only revealed the one shroud location, it's only going to be one. If you've revealed all of Arkham when you're playing Midnight Masks, it's going to be four. If you succeed, discover one clue from each revealed location in play. Dreadful in Essex County Express, where you're just trying to, you can't have moved on unless you've cleared your location. But really good if you've played with a big team, everyone's spread out. Imagine in like Miskatonic um, Museum when there are all the exhibits, or in Midnight Masks, or imagine if everyone is sort of running around in Blood of the Altar or um, Undimensioned Unseen. You drop this and just scoop up a haul of four or five clues. I'm assuming as well it's 5 XP, so it's only Rex or Daisy that can take it. They both have high intellect. They're both up for investigating places with a shroud of 4 or higher. Well, 3 or higher maybe, 3 or 4. So potentially they could get a bunch of clues. But that is the best case scenario. What would be a reasonable amount? Is 3 good? I think you'd want 4. I think it would be hard to justify this solo because... You don't really want to go to lots of locations without collecting the clues as you move around. You know, the idea that you could sort of rush around and reveal lots of locations. Although, you know, with Pathfinder down with shortcuts, you could kind of zoom through a few locations and then scoop up a load of clues with Deciphered Reality. Could be really cool. I love it. What a cool card. And I love the fact that Monster Slayer is a five-cost event that is a fight, and it's the sort of purest fight, one-hit kill. And then you've got Decipher Reality that's an investigate action, and it's like a pure, just give me all the clues. Love it. So that's Seeker and Guardian done. Wow. Next up is another spoiled card. It is the uh, spoiled on FFG. It is the Chicago Typewriter, a five-cost asset. Like the Lightning Gun, two hands, item, weapon, firearm, and illicit traded. Rogue loves that trait, or has cards with it. Two combat icons, so beefier than the lightning gun, and only four XP. It uses four ammo. Action, spend one ammo. Fight. You may spend any number of additional actions when you perform this attack. You get plus two combat for this attack for each action being spent, including this ability's action cost. This attack deals two damage. So you spend an ammo, you fight, you get plus two combat and plus two damage. It's all right. You spend an ammo, you fight, and you spend another action, you get plus four combat and two damage. And as we know, Rogue is the faction that really likes to get extra actions. If you were playing with Leo DeLuca in play, you'd have four actions. If you were playing a Schizo tool, you could spend another two resources to have five actions that turn. You could potentially be boosting to as high as the Lightning Gun's plus five if you could spend three actions, including your action. You can in fact be at plus six. Would that be an efficient use of your actions, though, when you might just want to be plucking away sort of slowly but regularly? I think for these sort of big ticket damage effects, taking fewer tests is better because that's fewer chances for the Chaos Bag to mess with you. I like the typewriter. I'm looking forward to trying it. I'm looking forward to trying it in a sort of dedicated rogue combat deck, particularly with Ace in the Hole in the last pack 
that allows you to take three more actions. We could see Rogue really creeping up with how many actions they can take. I think someone online has done a calculation of how many you could end up with. If you're also, for instance, adding quick thinkings into this attack or double or nothing the attack and then spending two actions to give you this really big combat boost to land a kind of massive six damage hit, that would be just really powerful. You could stack up a lot of extra actions and get these really powerful shots with it. And so instead of committing lots of cards for your bonus or committing lots of resources, you're committing lots of actions. But actions also, you know, they're, they're more precious than resources and cards, and they can be turned into resources or cards. So I'm certainly, I want to sort of try it out and see how often I'd ever want to spend, say, three actions on a Chicago typewriter attack and not just stick at one or two. But I mean, even plus two combat, plus, you know, three damage total, I still think is really strong. I love the plus two damage on Jenny's signature guns. Uh, sorry, the plus two attack on Jenny's signature guns and the plus one damage. I think plus two is, if you can get that from a weapon, that's nice. So going up to plus four, plus six, tasty. Next up, if we needed to know about how rogues are the masters of time, this is the unique item asset accessory slotted the gold pocket watch subname stealing time the picture is of a watch with an elder sign engraved on the inside of the watch lid it's a two cost asset four xp but my eyes just caught the fact that it's exceptional so it's eight xp and limit one per deck willpower and wild icons fine item and relic traded and then it's got two free triggers. First one, when a phase begins, remove the gold pocket watch from the game. Skip this phase. You've got six enemies on you. They're just about to kill you. It's the start of the enemy phase. Another hunter enemy is going to move into your location and kill your buddy. You remove the gold pocket watch. No enemy phase. Or you need one more turn to win. And it's about to be the last mythos phase that's going to kill you remove the gold pocket watch. Great, that's the first ability, skip a phase. I mean, or let's be honest here, you're playing with Peter, he's about to pl pull off some really cool showboaty move in the investigation phase, remove gold pocket watch from the game and make him skip the phase. Sorry, Peter. Or the second trigger, after a phase ends, remove the gold pocket watch from the game, repeat that phase. So carrying on the really brutal sadistic or masochistic vein you've just done the mythos phase place the doom check where you hit the doom threshold everyone's drawn an encounter card then you remove the gold pocket watch from the game and make everyone do it again horrible but of course you're probably not going to do that you're probably going to do that after the investigation phase and give everyone another set of actions so for two resources and eight xp if you've managed to get the gold pocket watch into play give everyone more actions. In four player, you're giving people 12 actions. The rogue might have Leo down or other ways of getting actions, so you're giving them even more actions. If Daisy's in play, she's got her tome action. I mean, there's there's so much that you can do with this. I love the idea of starting a campaign and the rogue player just saving XP until they buy one of these, and that that, that being their first buy-in for Dunwich. It's probably going to take them two scenarios to get 8, eight XP, maybe even more, but then their role or one of their roles at least, is finding this and getting this into play. And of course, the two investigators we know of, neither of them have things competing for this accessory slot. Skids, nothing apart from police badge if you buy that in. Jenny, 
nothing paltry. So they both love this. It's not getting in the way of any bigger strategy and it gives so much power and flexibility. And I love the fact as well, it's not an exile. You lose it for the rest of the game, so it's a one-off move. But then you can have it in the next scenario if you draw it and play it. So it feels like a really good investment if you're going to get, say, five or six scenarios worth of gameplay in which to try and see it. And anyone who's already played now Where Doom Awaits and Undimension and Unseen, both of those scenarios have times where I personally have been like, if only we had more time! You know, it's been so down to the wire. And imagine if there was a card, the gold pocket watch, that said, everyone gets more actions. Fantastic. Okay, that's Rogue. I feel like I'm racing slightly, but here we are. Ho-ho! Familiar art again! It is shriveling level 5. Three cost asset. The price has stayed the same. It's nice. One arcane slot. Nice. It now has a willpower and two combat icons. It's a spell that uses four charges. Fortunately, oh, they've missed a full stop after charges, though. That's a shame. Action. Spend one charge. Fight. This attack uses willpower instead of combat. You get plus three willpower and deal plus two damage for this attack. So level three shriveling is plus two willpower, same plus one damage. This is plus three. If a skull, cultist, tablet, elder thing, or tentacle symbol is revealed during this attack, take two horror. Okay, the drawback has got worse. But three willpower. So... Jim fights at 7 with this and does 3 damage a hit. Agnes fights at 8. <laughs> Silly powerful. The fact that it's still 3 cost is bananas to me. I love Shriveling. I think it's such a powerful card. 3 cost for 4 charges feels really good compared to, say, the automatic. So yeah, just out and out strong. I think it's definitely not a card you just pick up when you've got some spare XP. You know, you think about that you're going down the combat mystic route and that's what you're going to do. And I definitely think it sort of competes with Rite of Seeking if you're going to be the investigation mystic. But yeah, just incredible. I mean, with all of these these cards, Vicious Blow, Lightning Gun, Chicago Typewriter, now this, what the fooey are we going to be facing in Lost in Time and Space? I'm scared. Oh, another corset favourite. I think I've already mentioned it this cast. The next Mystic card is Ward of Protection. But it's not the 0 XP version, it's the 5 XP version! Wow. Okay, yeah, let's do this. It's Spell and Spirit Traded. Willpower icon as well as a Wild icon, so it's gained a Willpower icon. Fast. Play when you would draw a non-weakness encounter card. Cancel all of that card's effects and discard it. Then take one horror. Okay, well, I mentioned Water Protection earlier, so definitely a memory test for me now. The original is a non-weakness treachery card, and this says a non-weakness encounter card. So you could be drawing an enemy, some dreadful enemy, the worst enemy known to investigators, the Whippoorwill. You've drawn a Whippoorwill, all of your team are crying because the Whippoorwill is going to ruin their day. You're playing only Mystic and Seeker for some weird reason, your team of four. Cancel all of that card's effects and discard it, then take horror. So it's still only one horror, but it's also all of the card's effects. It's not the revelation effect. So my Beyond the Veil example, 
is blown out of the water here, right? Because you can draw beyond the veil and you don't even get the surge. You just... So how does this compare to William Mallison? When you draw an encounter card, exhaust Mallison and place one of your clues. That's just... It's sort of paying a clue to cancel the card and, and redraw. Water Protection is saying, I'm not taking an encounter card this Mythos phase. So good. You can only play two Wards of Protection per scenario unless you go all the way through your deck and round again. Would you want to spend 10 XP making your Ward of Protections so beefy powerful? And you've then got to draw them and stop the right treachery that you know will end things for you. It's, it's a hard sell, isn't it? I mean, unless you're delving too deep every single scenario and really racking up the XP, it's such a useful staple card, but also to justify putting 5 XP to be able to cancel a card. Well, maybe maybe that is what you want to do. And maybe the other thing I like is that the buy-in to have such encounter deck control that you can respond to really any difficulty is high. They're saying you want to be able to just blank what we're throwing at you. You're going to have to pay a lot of experience. And I like that. I think I think that leaves a lot of design space for other cards. There was actually an FFG article announcing a much later pack that did reveal some other encounter deck interactive cards. And you can see that they really want to play with that space and they don't just want it to be like, oh yeah, I'll pay zero. I've got four of these in my deck and I'll cancel whatever comes up. They want They want you to think about how you're going to interact with the encounter deck and how to stop what it throws at you. Wicked card. So we've had... Three Guardian, and Guardian have never had three in a pack before. Two Seeker, two Rogue, two Mystic. We're on to Survivor. It's Aquina, everyone's favourite ally. Yes, my Aquina deck just got good. This is Aquina, unique ally asset. The Forgotten Daughter is her subtitle. Four cost asset. Now, I think the one XP version is five cost. This is a three XP version. So two extra XP for a one cost discount. Willpower and agility icons. Now I've got to level with you, listener. I have no idea what the 1xp Aquinas icons are. I could cheat this, pause, go and look it up. I'm not going to, but I think just the willpower icon shows how much I played Aquina. Ally traded, takes up the ally slot, one health and four sanity, and then a reaction trigger. So you can choose whether or not this happens. When an enemy attacks you, exhaust Aquina and deal one horror to her. So she can do this four times. Deal that enemy's damage to any enemy at your location instead. You still take horror dealt by the attack. Which you could put on a quinner, but then you'd be losing her ability. Right, another memory challenge. This one I think I can do. The 1xp Aquina, the text is the same, except that it says an enemy attacks you, exhaust a quinner, deal a horror to her, deal that enemy's damage to another enemy at your location. So the the one XP Aquina requires you to have two enemies at your location. They don't have to be engaged with you, but they need to be two. This Aquina, you can use even on the enemy that's attacking you. So one XP Aquina is a little bit like oops. You sort of redirect damage. Three XP Aquina is like, don't try and punch me. I'm punching you. I like it a lot. I mean, it's classic survivor that you end up like with enemies engaged with you, taking the hits rather than getting rid of them, failing tests to find stuff, fluking your way through, kind of bouncing along at the bottom of the barrel trying to survive. And I, personally, I think 4 cost 3 XP feels sort of okay compared to some of the really high XP cards. So, yeah, I'm, I like her. Okay, 
there's, I think, one survivor card left. Will survivor get a card that is higher than 3 XP, or is that going to be a hallmark of their faction that they're low XP exile faction? Let's find out. This the last card. It's 3 XP! Maybe it's elite. Um, um, exceptional. Let's see. It's not exceptional. Ooh, it's a talent, though. Go back to the talent episode. Oh, it looks wicked. When are we getting the Archer Investigator? It's try and try again. A two-cost, three XP talent asset with two willpire icons. Pretty cool. Another reaction trigger, so optional. After a skill test has failed. Classic survivor failing things. So after a skill test has failed. If a skill card you own is committed to that test, exhaust, try and try again, return that skill card to your hand. Hmm. More fun shenanigans with your almost discard pile. I really like running skill cards in Ashcan Pete, and I really like running skill cards in Wendy, the neutral ones I mean, because survivors like cards. They like to be able to discard cards so that they can do things like retake tests or uh, ready duke, and to get the card draw from those neutral skill cards, you need to pass the tests. So if you're committing them in the hope that they're going to uh, sort of replace themselves and you're going to pass, it's even more frustrating if you're chucking in a perception for an investigation check, hoping to get a clue and get a card and sort of advance your position and then you don't get the clue or the card and you've lost a card. Dreadful place to be. This feels really strong. 3 XP is, is pretty steep. I mean, I've just said 3 XP for a quinner is fine, 3 XP to have this talent in your deck and get it into play, eh, a, a bit of an ask, but potentially really powerful. The, the flip side, of course, is maybe you're not going to fail any skill tests because you're just sort of sticking, you're, you're doing tests that you can pass, you're optimizing and playing to your strengths. And it's the same conundrum as Rabbit's Foot, isn't it? Rabbit's Foot, after you fail a test, draw a card. And... Rabbit's Foot is good because it gives you something if you've lost an action failing the test you would otherwise have passed. But also, if things are going well for you, Rabbit's Foot is useless. This is similar. If you're committing skill cards to tests thinking, oh, the test might be failed, but I'll chuck one in anyway, and not getting anywhere. Yeah, it could be, could be a little bit frustrating if you've spent the 3 XP and played it, paid the 2. Then again... It doesn't say a skill test you've taken. It just says that you've committed to someone. So if you're throwing out cards to other people as well, you're boosting someone's will check, say, your your, your partner's skids, and you're chucking him a, uh, a guts to help him with some nasty treachery, and he flubs it because he has a willpower of two, you get the guts back. That's that's kind of nice. It sort of means that you, know, you, you can be more generous with giving out skill cards. I suppose as well... I'm, Wendy has access to Opportunist and Opportunist Level 2 and Double or Nothing and Quick Thinking. These skill cards that all proc off being two above. And if for some reason, you know, you draw tentacles and they're all going to fail, you're not going to get one. You can at least pull one of them back and then you can use it for later tests if you're sort of throwing them all in to try and pull off some shenanigans. So that I like too. I love the art. Borja Pindado. Maybe it's Borja. Wicked art. And there is one card left, and this puppy was spoiled by FFG officially. It's another ally asset. It is the Red Gloved Man. Subtitle. He was never there. Two cost asset. Five XP. One wild icon. Fast. 
doesn't even cost an action to bring into play. Ally and Conspirator treated. Don't like that. Takes up the slot and has four health and four uh, sanity. Brother Xavier, I thought, was beefy on 3-3, like Lita. This guy is a mumba-jahumba. Reaction. After the Red Club Man enters play, choose two of your skills. I choose uh, Intellect and Combat. While the Red Club Man is in play, raise the base value of each of those skills to six. Forced at the end of the Mythos phase, discard the Red Gloved Man. So you're not paying an action to play him. You're just going to be fighting hard, shooting your lightning gun, really needing to hit. You pop him down, and you're starting at six, and then adding the plus five from lightning gun to fire at 11. Just amazing. Any kind of play with will to survive, where you're not even taking tokens for the test, you're basically ensuring that you smash your way through. Worth noting that his interaction with Duke is probably a bit honky, because if you raise your intellect and combat to six and then use Duke to do something, Duke sets your base value to four. So the hard effort that the Red Club man has put in boosting you up, your dog has undone by pissing on his trousers, probably. But, I mean, the art is incredible. He's kind of scary. It's almost like, do you want to include him? And really, I think of this card strangely a little bit like the Gold Pocket Watch, where it's just such a powerful effect. And if you can buy it in your deck early in a, in a campaign, potentially you get four, five, six clutch turns over the next four, five, six scenarios. And it's incredible. So it's not a lasting effect. It's not, you know, he's not sort of permanent. It's the opposite of permanent, isn't it? It's this burst effect. But so, so incredibly powerful. Really, really cool. And he only discards. Damn. If you chance encounter this guy, you can put him into play out of someone's discard pile. Play him once. It's not removed from the game. Pop him back into play get another turn of boost he goes at the end of the turn but chance encounter makes him go at the end of the turn anyway really strong i mean you can almost just take a hit with him as well you put him into play it won't trigger an attack of opportunity because it's fast but if you then need to do something you need to move somewhere to then do some other actions he's your boy he can take a big punch those were the player cards of lost in time and space the sixth Mythos pack of the Dunwich Legacy Cycle. I've been your host, Frank. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes. I'm pretty sure I want to do more of these for the Path to Carcosa Mythos packs. And if you've been enjoying them, please let me know. It's nice to hear from people. What an interesting set. I mean, definitely slightly undercut for me by knowing some of the cards well ahead of time, but I've really enjoyed sharing them with you. And I'm going to sleeve up my cards and jump into the final scenario. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. At the player cards of Lost in Time and Space, the sixth missile. <laughs> There's your blooper right there. Start again. I'm your host, Andrea, and today I'll be doing my first look at the player cards of Lost in Time and Space, the sixth Mythos pack... <laughs> Why does it have to be the sixth? Why can't it be the second Mythos pack? I could say that. The third, the three times second, second, <laughs> sixth Mythos, sixth 
mythos. Just go slower. I'm your host, Andrea, and today I'll be doing my first look at the player cards of Lost in Time and Space, the sixth mythos pack of the Dunwich Legacy cycle. Is it Dunwich or Dunwich? Dunwich. It's harder than it sounds. It is, isn't it? This is hard, this podcast. 